and gentlemen, welcome to the Prince Podcast here on PodcastJuice.net. My name is Michael Dean, and joining me today, we have another special guest. Every guest is special, but this is a very, very special guest. We're joined today by the lovely Gail Chapman. How are you, Gail? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing excellent, and we are so happy for you to be on the show today. And before we get started, I got to introduce the rest of my round table of friends here. We have Mr. Big Sexy and Sax, or how are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to later tonight where I'll be dining at my very first Michelin star restaurant. All oh, right. yes. Woohoo. We're moving up. We went from Big Max to Michelin. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. That's funny. Also, we have uh, Mr. Ant Pooh on the line. Sir, how are you? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be back on the show. All right. Thanks for coming on. And certainly last but not least, we have the lovely Kanisa on the line. How are you? Hello. I'm very excited to talk to Miss Gail today. All right. So let's get into things. And also, before I go any further, I have to give my respects and shout out uh, to a gentleman who helped uh, this thing get together here, Gregory Bell. Uh, shout out to you, sir. Got me in touch with Gail, so I really appreciate that. So before we get started here, let's go all the way back. Gail Chapman, she was the original, or one of the original, keyboardists in, uh, I don't even know if it was called the Revolution at that time, and Gail can help us out with that, but the original band that Prince had when he went on his solo deal, Gil Chapman was in the group. Uh, a lot of times you don't, and this is for me, uh, my ignorance, uh, you don't hear as much about you, Gail, sometimes as I think people should. So hopefully this would be another avenue as many others where we can, you know, hear your story and hear from you about your times uh, with Prince and beyond and all that good stuff. So again, welcome to the show. Uh, can you tell us? Thank the, you. Yeah, you're certainly welcome. Can you tell the listeners and me, uh, what years were you with Prince? 1978 to 1980. Thank you. And I was taking a nap one pleasant afternoon, wondering if I would ever play in any band that I really wanted to, and the phone rang. And this was three months after I had auditioned for the band with Prince. And... Um, <clears throat> He um, called me and he said, hello, Gail, this is Prince. What are you doing? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm taking a nap, but I'm awake now. What can I do for you? He said, um, can you come to practice? We're starting in an hour. Can you make it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I hopped out of bed, put my clothes on, put my junk in my car, and headed out the door. And made it in under an hour when it was typically a 90-minute drive from where I was. <laughs> so, that was the beginning of that. Now, back it up a little bit. When did you first hear of Prince? And I'm assuming that you lived in the general area of uh, Minneapolis. Is that correct as well? I did. I lived in Minneapolis. I was living in Bloomington. Uh, when I got the call, I had recently moved out there. Um, when I first heard of Prince, I was living in North Minneapolis on Pennsylvania Avenue in a little house that I uh, share rented with some other person. I lived upstairs, they lived downstairs, but we shared the living room downstairs and the kitchen. So I, um, I was listening. Let's see, I used to jam with Charles Smith. He's known as Chaz, and that is Prince's cousin. I didn't know he was Prince's cousin at the time. All I knew was that Chaz was this friendly guy who knew a bunch of other friends, and uh, he liked to drum. So um, we would jam in the living room. I had my, my keyboards set up, and we would play some music. And one day... Uh, I went after he'd gone, I had the Prince album on for you and had it cranked up really, really loud, extremely loud, as a matter of fact. And um, 
I was really digging the music. And suddenly, through all this loudness, this voice kind of came down from the ceiling and through my head and back out the other side. And it was very quiet, but it was so loud. You know what I'm saying? It said, in order for Prince to tour, he's going to need a band. And I turned down the music and I looked around and I said, hello? Somebody here? (laughs) There was nobody there, but after that, I got on the phone with Charles, and I said, Charles, I need to um, talk to you about Prince. What do you know about him? He says, well, he's my cousin. I said, really? Does he need a band? He says, well, he's doing auditions now. And I said, oh, how come you didn't tell me? And he said, because I thought you were already in a band. At that point, I just laughed, and I said, so What? I want to audition. And he said, okay. So that's how that got started. And I went and I auditioned. And then three months later, I got the call. Wow. So you were working with Chaz, unbeknownst to he was related to Prince. Yes, that's correct. So uh, going back to the, the the Prince album that you had, I mean, was, uh, was that a big deal? I mean, what did you know of Prince uh, what sparked you to buy that album? Was you know, a big thing in the hometown, or did you just really like the music? I'm just very curious. I actually didn't buy the album. Um, it was loaned to me by some other friends. And, um, I, they said, you need to check this kid out. We know him, and he's a good guy, and um, he's really talented, and you might like his music because you're pretty funky. And I said... Oh, cool. <laughs> I um, I listened to it. I started to listen to that album, For You, and um, that was his first album when they had albums. You know? Right. <laughs> um, okay. Now, just to go back into your history in terms of music, I mean, what were some of your musical influences? Because uh, you said somebody said you was funky, so I'm curious, like, what were you into at the time? Um, I used to listen to George Duke and Frank Zappa and um, Ten Wheel Drive. I'm a child of the 60s and, you know, Janis Joplin. Um, uh, what was it? I'm a horn player. It comes from a big family full of horn players. Ronnie Laws. I loved <laughs> Ronnie Laws. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and uh, Stanley Clark. Um, going back to that first album, we you you did the uh, audition. Talk, take us to the audition. What, what was that audition like with uh, Prince? Well, the audition was lots of fun. It was uh, in his house, his then his house that he owned on uh, or rented anyway on France Avenue. I don't, I can't remember if he owned it or rented it. Nice little place had a basement and an upstairs. And I remember walking in, seeing all these people sitting on the couch waiting for their turn. And um, I was um, um, the only one dressed in a, you know, headscarf and a blue jean tent dress wearing flip-flops. <laughs> That's how I showed up to this. I, I called myself the granola queen because I pretty much was. But um, I... It's playing really funky music, and I loved what Prince did. And um, they were they were doing the um, audition downstairs in the basement. And um, let's see, Andre was there, and Bobby V was there. So they were already in Prince's band, and then I was the third member brought into the band and uh, into his first touring band. I was not the first keyboard player, female keyboard player that he's had. In fact, I didn't know that until Greg Bell actually informed me and sent me, sent me, um, photos. It was Andre's sister. That was actually mm-hmm. the very first. So, and I'm, I'm, so I was 
the second, but I was the first lady of keyboards in his touring, his first touring band. Wow. Okay. And, and well, did you, were you the first, uh, you guys actually did a show, you know, in terms of. Uh, yeah. Yes. I was, I was the first one hired that, that did, um, shows with the band in its first format with, uh, Des Dickerson, Matt Fink and, uh, Andre Simone and Bobby Z. Okay. And then there was me and Prince. I was the only female in the band. And, and, and you'll just have to ask me questions about that. That was fun too. Oh, we don't get into. <laughs> we don't get into. I'm curious. Just going back to that first show uh, at the Capri, right? Like, what what do you remember from that? Yes. In fact, I got to tell you this. I'm gonna. Um, there's a guy from L.A. named Morris Mills who is a bit of big Prince fan and yes. he is doing a concert in April uh, 20 April 20th at the Capri and I'm going to make a cameo step on stage and do a couple numbers so that'll be fun yeah shout out but, to Morris I, I talked to him and I did see that yeah. you're going to be at that show so that's excellent yeah. touring with touring with Prince was a blast um, the first show um, he had asked us at one of the rehearsals, we could cut the original tune that wanted to contribute. And I had written an instrumental on my uh, clavinet. I had a Honer D6 clavinet, one of my favorite instruments in the whole world. And um, it's, uh, he, he thought it was really great, so we performed it on, on stage at the Capri. Um, we also had, I think Andre had one called Thrill You, Kill You that was also on there. And I've always liked that song. It was ridiculously funny and um, campy. Dez had a tune uh, called Disco Away, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny too. Uh, but all really great tunes. And um, uh, let's see, my mom showed up. At that show, she came down to Minneapolis from Duluth, where I grew up, and um, just to see the show. And I thought that was pretty cool. So it was a great night. It was a packed house. And I don't remember much else than that, but it was really thrilling. It was great for Prince. It was great for the band. And it was a great first step out. What were the... Uh... What, remember what sort of Prince's reactions or thoughts were in terms to letting you guys know in terms of the performance of the of that first show? Um, ask that. Ask me that again. <laughs> and, um, so, like coming off of that show, uh, was there like a um, I don't know more of a desire to well, we got to really let's rehearse some more or. You know what I mean? Like, there's, was there any feedback from Prince to the rest of the musicians in the band to, you know, what we what's the next step for us? I can't speak specifically to that answer, but I do know that uh, we were all pumped. And it was one of those stepping stones that got us out to L.A. and um, helped us prepare for things like the Midnight Special and American Bandstand and... Um, other recorded things that went on to Twiggy and Soul Train and um, shows like that. Okay. So, well, you mentioned American Bandstand as a, a classic performance. Uh, you know, Dick Clark. Uh, you know, I don't know if some of the listeners, the younger listeners, may not understand the magnitude of of Dick Clark and American Bandstand. But back in the day, I mean, that was one of the shows, right? Like when you got on that, you was on some next level stuff. And uh, I remember, that, just, yeah, go ahead. That was a huge deal. Yeah. That was a huge deal, but Prince was bound and determined to have it done his way. And his way he did. Um, if, and I don't know how many times you've watched it or ever seen it, but he, uh, he told us all not to smile and not to speak. <laughs> And we just did what he said. So when we got on, when, when he started interviewing him and Prince did his shy act and, you know, using fingers to tell him how many years he'd been 
doing one thing or the other. Um, none of us really understood any of that. We just kind of went along with it. But um, it, when when Dick Clark asked me, who's the lovely lady, I couldn't help but crack a smile because I was so happy to be there. <laughs> wow. And uh, what did you guys think of that afterwards, though? That was cool. And I can't, and I, I swear, I racked my brain trying to think what any of us did uh, after that performance. I just, I don't know. I mean, it could have been anything as mundane as heading to the restroom or going back to the hotel to eat. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. I wish I could. I wish I could remember. Uh, Big sexy man, I want you to jump in here as well. Uh, yeah, definitely, Gail. You mentioned uh, your your time on the Midnight Special. Now I remember. You know, again, our younger listeners aren't going to know what that is. I remember it very well back in uh, you know mid to late seventies. Uh, how did that all come about? Was it like a one night? Uh, break in the tour, or did you guys make a special trip to go to go do that? I think all of those were done in one trip down to L.A. They were set up so that we did American Bandstand, and we did Midnight Special, and had several other things that were then distributed to other programs um, from those locations at the same time. Don't quote me on that, but I, I think that's how that was done, because we had agents and management and uh, tour managers, even then, that would take care of all of that. So all we had to do was our little, our little artist selves would hop on the plane, um, make sure we, you know, <laughs> were fed and dressed and ready for what we had to do. So. Um, that was something that gets set up and then we just did it. And I believe it was all at the, in the same trip. Can you talk about your experience as the only female member of the band, especially as you guys were, what that was like and the different audiences that you had on that tour? I almost got that. Let me see if I understood you. <laughs> um, the, the, the tour, you better ask me again. <laughs> I think it was uh, being the female person of the band. Uh, what'd you say, Kenisa? What does she feel like being or, on tour? Yeah, like as the only female, what was that like to be on tour with all these guys and the different places that you went in the South and just around the country? It was, um, thank you for that question. Um, I, I get asked that infrequently, but it's it's significant when you're the only, the only girl in an all-guy band um, in that especially when you're young, we were all between the ages of 18 and, and 22 when this whole thing started. And um, tensions and emotions sometimes would run high and it, um, disagreements would come up um, regarding why Gail should have her own hotel room or not. <laughs> And my answer would always be, well, if you guys can give up 45 minutes in the bathroom when I have to do hair and makeup, or uh, if I'm not feeling well because I have my, my um, period, or <laughs> if you guys can understand that stuff, that's great. I'd be willing to share a room with any of you. Just don't put dirty socks on my bed. <laughs> don't, you know. So it was like, okay, Gail can have her own room in the hotel, but, you know, sometimes the guys wanted their own solace and, and didn't like, you know, when somebody would, would you know, snore or something or talk in their sleep. I don't know. But, yeah, there was that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes, sometimes it was um, lonely because the guys – had their girlfriends, they had, um, they had, you know, they would hang out with each other. Um, I don't remember having much interpersonal relationships with any of them except for Matt. Um, 
and Matt and I would, would talk occasionally. But it was, um, it was a great experience. All right. So, Gail, here's a question I wanted to really jump into because I was always fascinated. Uh, you know, there's these pictures of you and Prince <laughs> on stage. And I want to know. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I want to know. There's a, uh, remind me which song or where this happens in the show, but you and Prince uh, engage in a full-on, uh, we used to call it French kissing. Like, how, how did that come up in rehearsals? To like, yo, gal, I want to, can you, can you remember? I know you remember that. How does that, how did that come up? I'm just very curious. Um, oh, wow. Uh, well, uh, Prince, um, as you know, had invented sex at that time in his life. And, (laughs) uh, he had a lot of things that he wanted to present as a musician and an artist. And one of those was the um, more overtly heterosexual side of who he was and what he did. And I didn't seem to have any problems with kissing a superstar on stage. In fact, um, you know, (laughs) it's probably more of a claim to fame than anything, you know? Yes, I made out with Prince on stage. Woohoo! Do I remember what it was like? No, unfortunately. I don't. It was a long time. Was this. But. Um, was it. You mean, did you guys have to, like, rehearse that? Because yeah, I'm sure he didn't just spring it on you the day of the show or something. Like, did y'all practice that um, during the show? No, it wasn't something. It wasn't something that was not planned. But. The band, the guys did not like it. And I don't know why. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why, but maybe maybe guys can answer that because I, I have no clue. It's, it's called player hating, Gil. <laughs> player hating, is that what that is? <laughs> that is, yes. yes. The, the, the superstar gets the chick. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> okay. I, I think Prince had a saying. Uh, y'all, ha- in one of his movies, his characters had us, and I, I am joking here. Y'all can handle the money, but leave the draws to me. Not saying that that's what. <laughs> so, you have to be very careful with these jokes in 2018, so excuse me if it well, goes too far. Sorry. Mr. Prince is unfortunately not with us, and I think if he were here today, he would find just as much humor in what you said, because he was a pretty funny guy. Um <clears throat> And even though, uh, as he aged, he mellowed a lot, um, he, he particularly liked beautiful women. And um, I don't know if I uh, qualified as that, but I know that as part of the act, it made a huge impression. And it, the black and white aspect of... Mm that on stage caused a huge fervor among um, black women and gay men to have mm. him making out with me on stage. Speak on that so, for a second, I mean, Gail. Speak, speak. What, what do you mean? <laughs> what do I mean? Uh, well, it was the first time I experienced uh, race, I guess, race, I guess you'd call it racial something or other. I don't know what the word would be to clearly define it, but uh, when we would do that on stage, black girls would say, get away from him, bitch. (laughs) They would get scared. Yeah, they would say, uh, more than once I heard uh, epitaphs from from the audience uh, and usually female voices, so it was interesting. Um, but it didn't stop him, you know, and and he had many, many gorgeous women promoted and, uh, as, and had his girlfriend and, you know, he was very heterosexual. Um, and he was very respectful, but he was also Prince and a superstar. So 
<laughs> and you he said gay men would be. Uh, you said gay men would be upset as well. Um, yes, because gay men um, at the time, back in the beginning, remember when controversy came out, and the one line in it was, "Am I straight oh, yeah. or gay?" Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved playing on that kind of questioning stuff. I, I don't know what to call it, but um, it was part of, I think, part of his sense of humor as well as part of building who he was. Yeah, you can guess, but my actions will speak louder than my words kind of thing. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was the make? Do you remember, like, what was the predominantly makeup of the audience? Because you you mentioned black women. I mean, was there a was there a lot of black people in that audience to see you guys back in those days? There was uh, white people really weren't all that interested. I mean, we were opening for the the big tour that we first had was with. Uh, um, Rick James mm-hmm. and we had uh, Lenny White was the opening act we were the special guest and then Rick James was the the um, headliner so yes it was a primarily black audience and there are a few white hipsters in the crowd and um, so I, I think, no, I never thought anything of it until I was actually out there doing that, how that affected a watching and listening audience. I, I didn't have any clue, and it was my first eye-opening experience to that. Mm. Was there, were there things that were suggested, you know, sort of in rehearsal or to you that uh, that you didn't do, but it probably were like really out there or even you might've been like, you know, there was one and it turned into a huge media debacle to this day. People say you wouldn't sing head because it went against your religious views. And I'm like, Oh, get over that. I mean, how many of you to this day want to, you know, sing about giving head unless you're, you're in porn. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, I can see Stormy Daniels singing that. But... Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about Donald Trump. There you go. Q? Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that was just some of that stuff that... Um, um, when yeah, I mean, the question was, you know, was there stuff I was asked to do? That would probably be the one thing that caused the biggest stir was my not wanting to. Um, I mean, I asked him, I said, can we change the words just a little? And he said, no, we're not changing the words. It's my song and that's what I want to do. I said, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, that was pretty much the end of that. I mean, he found somebody else to do it. And I, I think that was, that happened near the end of my, my days with him and people, because it was so close to, um, when I actually left the band, people like to associate that with why I left, but that's mm. not why I left. Well, so, well, okay. And when you're ready for that answer, I'll tell you, that too well go ahead we, yeah you just set <laughs> it up really not what people think yeah you, you just set it up so go ahead and t- tell us <laughs> go ahead and tell you um i left because i needed more growth in my own life mm. i needed uh I, I needed more than just what we were doing in the band as his bandmates it wasn't enough to keep me interested and in- the time and I was pretty short-sighted in retrospect because I had no idea where it was all going I really didn't and I don't think any of us did Mm. the other ones hung in and right after I left was when 
you know, they went to Japan and they went to, they opened for the Rolling Stones and had that horrendous um, mm-hmm. audience response. <laughs> I felt bad for them. I heard about that and I went, oh my God. <laughs> I really felt for them. But I did get to catch up with them when they came to New York City and played at the um, uh, Radio City Music Hall. And I got to go backstage and say hello to Prince and Morris Day and all those guys. And that was the last time I really ever saw any of them until I would go back and visit my mom in Minneapolis occasionally. And uh, it was then that I would uh, talk to Matt um, the other one, I guess Andre was already off to California somewhere by the time I started talking to, to Matt. And um, But there are other questions to be asked, I'm certain. C- certain. Well, I wanted to jump into something you just said. We'll come back to, to leaving stuff, but you mentioned <clears throat> Morris Day, and I saw something you said online about Morris. I just think it's interesting. Uh, I think you said at that show, Morris had opened for Prince, or the time had opened. And you were, I think you were, it seemed like you were amazed at uh, Morris's growth from the time you must have originally known him to where he's on stage. Can you speak to that a little bit? I can. Um, Morris, Morris was a very shy, skin freckled black man and a real cutie and a great, great drummer. And, um, I had no idea when I met him that Prince would be able to draw that kind of showmanship out of him. I didn't know Morris that well, but I was impressed with what they had been able to accomplish together as friends because they were very close and uh, a lot of respect for both of them. But um, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I mean, it was just so surprising to me to see how he had developed it in his showmanship ability and how he had uh, gone from this complete shy, not talk very much kind of guy to this outstanding uh, rhythm machine on stage. <laughs> he was great. Nice, nice. Now, um, going back to, you know, wanting to, to, to leave the group because you didn't feel it was fulfilling enough, was that in terms of artistic things or other things in your life? I think it had a great deal to do with, um, I wanted more, more out of my ability to do things on stage than just being the keyboard player and singing backup because I've always been... I started out in opera and I've had lots of, of um, lots of education and training and performance. <laughs> and over the years I've continued to perform and, and do stuff. And um, I was probably a little more anxious than I should have been, but I was young. I was 21 to 23 years old when I worked with him and <laughs> Had had my own dreams, and I guess I I had a right to pursue them. You know, I just didn't know and didn't think it through very well. And what was going to happen with Prince? What uh, what was that conversation? I'm going to go right to you after this one. What was that conversation with Prince like? You know, to let him know that you wanted out of the band. Um. Well, we were both living on Lake Minnetonka at the time. And we lived about a mile away from each other. He was on Orono Bay right down the road in a rented house where he had a, a recording studio. And I got up one day and I just knew I was going to, I was going to give notice. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I called him up one morning and they said, can I come over? I have to talk to you. And he said, okay. So like, we talked for about an hour, I think, in his living room. And 
we talked about stuff, and I told him, I said, look, you've, you've got a lot going for you. I don't think you'll have any problem finding anybody to take my place. I said, I think if, I, if, I, if I'm going to quit, it's going to be now because it's going to be better for you as far as timing to find somebody. Then he was able to find Lisa fairly quickly, so that worked well. Hmm. And um, he, um, I don't think he was happy about it, but he accepted it. Gail, from a keyboard standpoint, a musician standpoint, uh, I'm familiar okay. with what it's like when you have two guitarists in a band, and one plays rhythm lead. When you have two keyboard players, how does the music, uh, for lack of a better word, get divided among the two of you? Um, for, for this particular band setup, I think it was a pretty obvious one. My... Uh, my abilities lie mostly, lay mostly at the time in the rhythm category. And um, Matt was really genius at putting stuff together with his mini moves and playing really fast leads. And I was never really good at playing really fast leads back then without making some real clunkers. So I did a lot of the horn parts on the overhead four voice and uh, a poly mood and played a lot of the courting and um, more fancy instrument fast licks and um, flashier stuff and bends. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, does that answer that question? It's about... All I could say about that, I mean, we both, and, and we both um, worked, worked together well, and Prince, I think, really enjoyed having those two distinct capabilities between us, because he knew he could always count on us for what he was asking us to do. All right. Let me ask some of these questions that we have from some of our listeners uh, on Patreon. I think I did send okay. some of these to you. Uh, I want to start with this one from Chris uh, Stefan from St. Stepton, if I'm saying okay. his name right, says, having been there in the formative years of Prince's artistry, did his superstar success shock you? And he also says, and do you think his desire to do it his way, despite what it did to his commercial success, was an early trait in his personality? He wanted to do it his way, and he always fought for doing it his way. Um, if somebody told him no, he would go around him and find a uh, find the way to get it done and prove the other parties wrong. And he was quite successful at that. Um, a case in point was when he wrote slave on the side of his cheek and um, changed his name to a symbol. I knew, I knew right away what he had done. And I thought it was genius because they couldn't own him anymore. Um, with regard to the first part of the question, ask the first part of the question again. I want to make uh, sure yeah. I got it right. Uh, so having been there in his formative years, did uh, Prince's later superstar success shock you? Does it shock me? No, not, not at all. Um, he, he had his... He just had a great, great personality. He was very funny. He had uh, a very dry sense of humor. And he was very straightforward about things that he wanted, things that he liked, things that he didn't like, and uh, made it quite clear what he wanted to do to everybody involved. So it was never, never a question, and it, there was nothing shocking about anything that he did. Except for one thing that I noticed, that was the buttless pants. Long after I was gone, <laughs> that I found funny because um, it's like, okay, uh, what are you representing here? I mean, 
you're either you're either teasing gay men or you're or you're um, just throwing off your ass to the world. <laughs> or both. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I'm just human. I'm just a human being. You know, I, I have I have the same questions some of some of the other folks do. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, what's the next question? Yeah, so here's another one. There's, there's, a, there's a few of these that sort of ask the same question, so I'm just going to f- paraphrase here. But shout out to Roberta, Roberta Lane uh, and Chris again. They, they're asking about in terms of when you left and, and was it, and I remember reading these in books, and so I don't know how much is true, but in terms of your religion uh, practices or being a Christian, you know, I guess people wanted to ask, was that conflicting with you know the music and the performances that you were doing and then if you could explain to me uh because i don't i'm ignorant to this but what is this thing called uh the way can you give me some insight into that as well um the way was a uh, a biblical research and teaching and outreach ministry that um some people called a cult and some people didn't. But um, one of the things I always wanted to learn was uh, something about the Bible because I hated getting in religious arguments and not knowing what the hell I was talking about. So um, I have another knock on the door here. So can we pause for just a second? Yes. I think that's a okay. J- Joel Witnesses. <laughs> oh, here you go. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about you, you. You talked about the way a little bit, and and then we. The question was, you know, was there any sort of, you know, tension or apprehensiveness, uh, you know, with Christian, and then you know performing some of these songs, which probably you wouldn't be able to perform in a church, but. <laughs> well. It's not like I was going to church when I was on the road. No, I knew exactly what I was doing. And I knew exactly uh, how I felt about it. Um, and I'll just tell you quite honestly, I loved what I was doing with Prince. Um, when you have a job, you have a job to do. Um, your boss is the one that determines what that work consists of. Um did I leave because of that? No, I left because I had other things I wanted to grow up in. And part of it was my own musical ability. Because sometimes people think that Johnny oh, must be this fantastic musician to work with with somebody like that. And for the most part, I think um, they're, they're right. People that are working with superstars are you know, have a fair amount of talent and ability themselves. And as we age and we keep up with it, um, we get and we stay good or we become good and we get better. Um, But it takes that consistent practice like anybody else because I don't think anybody's a born genius or a born artist or anything else. I think it takes work. And Prince, if he were alive today, would say absolutely. If I hadn't stuck my neck out and done some of the things that I did um, and fought for what I wanted, nobody would know me. And I think that's probably a good assessment. But yeah, um, my religion, uh, first of all, I don't really believe in religion. I do believe in spirituality. I do believe in um, a lot of things that a lot of people believe in. But I don't, um, I don't think, I, I mean, if religion had that much to do, this is my opinion, if religion had that much to do with what anybody did for a living, most people would run their own companies and never work for a corporation. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so much that people, um, that corporations or companies profess that others disagree with either on biblical matters or religious matters. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I, I dig it. And that's just my, that's just my opinion. So I, it's a, it's a futile argument that I don't think ends up going anywhere. So, but 
Well, yeah, I just I just wanted to see if you could, you know, sort of really shed some light on that because you, you hear all these things, but we never really got to hear you really kind of break it down. So I'm glad that you were able to, you know, express that. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I try. And God bless people for asking questions because the more people ask, the more I, I get to think about certain things. And deep down inside, um, I really loved the guy. I loved what we were doing. I loved the band, and I, I still do. I, you know, it's just it's a positive memory in my world. Is there? A, I may not ever. I'm sorry. I may not ever get to go back and do that again, but um, I am going to be part of the Prince celebration for the first time. That's what I was about to ask you. Years. That's fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you. There was there any sort yeah, of there, you know. Have you come to Paisley Park? When was, have you been to Paisley Park before? Never. Oh, wow. Never. Yeah, they finally called me and said, we'd like you to join us for the early years panel. And I said, I'm not sure how much I remember, but I'm happy to come and, and be a part of it. So please. You know? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So well, I will see you out, out there for sure. <laughs> Are you coming? Oh, yes, I'm going to be there. Kanisa will be there as well. Yes, I'll be there. Awesome. Hey, Gail, I have a question for you about um, the Rebels. Can you talk a little bit more about that project? Sure. What would you like to know specifically? Or shall I just talk about I what I remember? To, yeah, I was actually listening to it because I love you tonight the other day. And I was like, hey, let's go. Can you just talk about that song or how that came together? Well, let's see. We were in Colorado at, I forget the name of the place. It was something like Blue Sky Recording or something. I can't remember. It was not far from where Michael Jackson recorded a lot of his stuff. And um, uh, this was the first recording of... um, um, that particular song, If I Love You Tonight. And I remember starting to sing it and, and you know, Prince was in the control room with the engineer and I had the headphones on and the music stops and he says, cry, Gail, cry. He <laughs> said, cry? He says, yeah, cry. Cry when you're singing this song. I said, okay. I'll, it's really hard to do, Prince. I'm crying and singing and not, you know, it, Really don't. <laughs> okay. It's like I had learned semi not to argue with Prince by then. And <laughs> he said, just cry and sing the song. I said, okay. So I tried to cry and sing the song. And for years, I could not listen to myself singing it because I just hated it. <laughs> and but I loved the song. I just didn't like what I sounded like on it. But he thought it was great, and I uh, at least that's what he he said. Or at least he he had this understated way of paying compliments. If he said something like, "Okay, we're good," you know, that meant he was happy with it. <laughs> so. Um, the other, the other side to that, because um, he was tr- coaching me through what he wanted emotionally in that song. Um, the guys were in, uh, were upstairs in a room with a big glass picture window, and they were watching and listening to the process while I was in the studio trying to record this song. And at one moment. I looked up, and this was how the camaraderie was in the band. I looked up, and there were four pressed hands against the window with big, fat, red eyes. And I had to stop, and I took the headphones off, and I simply couldn't sing for about five minutes because I was laughing too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Nobody seemed to get that. You know what pressed hands with red eye are? (laughs) They went over our heads, Gil. I'm going to say, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Pressed hands with red eye. That means they mooned me. (laughs) Lord. (laughs) 
<laughs> Trash can refrigerator. That's what that is. Wow. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> oh, hey, we appreciate you sharing that. That's that's going in the books, right? There. <laughs> going back to the rebels project there why did that not come out did you know why you guys didn't move forward with that or did you guys work any more on those songs other than in colorado um that was prince's decision and if he wasn't forthcoming with an answer we didn't have one Mm. that's all i know on that um he may have told matt or des uh, that might be a good question that they can answer because I certainly don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, another question uh, we have here that I also want to know myself is when, after you left the band, what was the next thing for you uh, music-wise? What, what did you get into? Well, I moved to New York City and uh, rented a railroad apartment which basically means it's a skinny apartment. It's long, and each room is a different room, like living room, kitchen, bedroom, that kind of thing. Um, And I thought I would try my hand out there, and that was more difficult than it seemed because, you know, I tell people I, I I was working with Prince, and I don't work with them anymore, and they go, who? I go, Prince. I never heard of him, mm. and so that wasn't much help back then. But I did get to meet some great musicians, and um, I had to get a job as a secretary for a corporation, and I worked my way up from from being uh, the cleaning lady to being the executive secretary to the president of the corporation. So that was wow. that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, wow is right. <laughs> That's a whole nother life and a whole nother story. That's a, yeah. But, uh, and you were still doing music? Huh? Were you still doing music, though, during this, this time? Uh, not as much as I wanted, no. Okay. Um, I wanted to, but again, uh, a lot of playing music in different places is um, the one thing I wasn't prepared for because I was young and had been spoiled working in Prince's band, was when you're on your own, uh, you're starting from the bottom and renegotiating your relationships with people because you have to meet people and you have to meet people with influence. And New York City, with 10 million people, it is a very difficult place to do that. So, Wow. Um, let, let me uh, let me ask you this, and, and we'll, we'll wrap things up with this one. So, can you like you know? There's a lot of there's always new new musicians and and new people that want to do art and different things of that nature. But what can uh-huh. you, what can you share with them based off of your experiences? You know, working with Prince early on, and then going your own route. And I you know I love what you you know you mentioned how you started. You started from the bottom. You went uh, cleaning lady to the executive, uh, you know, secretary. Uh, and then you're, what you're doing now in terms of, you know, the real estate things. Like that. What can you tell uh, a person that, that wants to get into art? Like what's some of the things they should be looking out and how they should move? You know what I'm saying? Making decisions and things of that nature. Well, the more, uh, the more help somebody has, the better. Um, I guess one way to state that is uh, don't think of yourself as an island. Life is about relationships. And um, when you're working on developing yourself as an artist, it's very easy to fall into that trap of being myopic and you only focus on one thing. But like developing your artistic ability and who you are as an artist. Um, but, and then suddenly you realize you have to promote yourself. So it's the relationships that we develop along the way with people that allow us to succeed with what we want to do. Um, it, it's just not feasible in my mind for anybody 
to do everything by themselves and really be as successful as they want to. Had I had uh, some things to mull over, I would have done a few things differently. I would have, before moving to New York, I would have reached out to people. We didn't have the internet then, like we do now, and so I would have probably had to make make phone calls, phone calls like you know any salesperson, and uh, you know write letters. But there's so much you can do now with today's media advantage mm-hmm. and social media and things like Patreon and Reverb Nation. There's all kinds of things you can use to develop yourself. And if you don't have time to do that, you get somebody to help you who cares about you and likes what you're doing. Um, There's just no point in trying to do it all by yourself. All right. Some words of wisdom from Gail. Yeah. We love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, listen. But consistency. Okay. The, 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 the final thing I would say is you have to remain consistent in your work ethic. There are things that successful people do that are routines on a daily basis. And it's those things, some of those things that you do on a routine daily basis are what contribute to your success down the line. So consistency is a big key. All right, that's what's up. Gil, also, what was uh, or what is your favorite Prince album, if if that's not a hard question? <laughs> I'd say that's a hard question because um, I hate to admit it, as much as I love the guy, uh, I didn't follow him because I didn't have time. I was busy working, trying to make a living. I respect that. I respect that. Purse first. Money first. Um, Purse first. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Gil, you are going to be at Celebration 2018, right? I am. Yeah. And you also have, uh, you're going to be making an appearance at the Capri Theater with Morris uh, Mills? Yes. During his show. And what day is that? I think the 20th? April 20th, I think. April 20th, yeah. All right. So we're definitely going to be checking you out there. And I know the listeners are going to be looking forward to that as well. Um, Where can people find you online, Gil? Facebook. I have a Facebook account. If they want to listen to my music, uh, they can go to www.reverbnation.com. I don't have any of it for sale there, but um, they can certainly listen to it. Uh, you can buy the Gail Chapman CD that came out in 2003. <laughs> I think I'm overdue. <laughs> um, they came out in 2003. You can buy it off iTunes. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll so, look for it. Yeah, for sure. We're going, we're going to get it. And we, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, helping you any way that we can. Again, this platform here is, you know, to make sure that everybody that was there uh, from the beginning to the end is never forgotten. You know what I'm saying? So everyone contributed something. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, we appreciate you coming on here and sharing your stories. Uh, I am so grateful to have the opportunity. Thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope to talk to you all again sometime. And I look forward to meeting any of you that are coming to Minneapolis. That'll be fun. All right. We're looking forward to that. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you've listened to the Prince podcast here on Podcast Juice. If you haven't already, please consider joining our Patreon page. Help support the show. Show your love to all of our Patreon people. Thank you so much for helping us do what we do. And like I always say, work it like a job. We'll see you next time.
You already know.